All right, if you have your Bibles now, uh, please open them with me to Exodus chapter 21 today. We are continuing now in this second main section of this book of Exodus, which we have called the Lord Covenant Maker. In this second section of Exodus, we've already studied the Ten Commandments. We have already considered the appropriate and reverential fear that we should have before the Lord, the God who shakes mountains. And now, for the next four weeks, we are going to consider God's application of his law into the daily lives of the Israelite people. And we're going to begin today by reading a very long passage, 51 verses together, beginning in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 21. This is the holy and authoritative word of God. It says, now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out, then his master shall bring him to God and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall be his slave forever." When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear, only he shall pay for the loss of his time and he shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. When men strive strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. 
When a, man's, when a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accused to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution." If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox or for a donkey or for a sheep, for a cloak or for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God, the one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beast, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. Amen.
May God bless the preaching of his word. 51 verses. I'll be preaching for five hours. Not really, but this is not an easy passage to preach from. Half of me this week wanted to just skip over this section of Exodus and just choose to preach something easier. Even as I'm going on vacation later this afternoon, I was eager to preach something else. Just give me John 3.16 this morning and then I'll move on. These verses are not easy, especially when you consider the first 11 verses and how they have to do with slavery. Do we really have to deal with this this morning? But church family, as I studied deeper this week, the, the more envisioned and the more excited I became for this. Yes, these verses are a little complicated to interpret, but Exodus chapters 21 to 24, which are called the book of the covenant, these are not boring chapters for us. No, it is actually a thrilling thing to consider how wisely and carefully our God is able to apply his word into our lives and into our daily existence. All of this shows his loving care in a very particular way. And so even for the next four weeks in these chapters, we're going to have the same main idea over all of these weeks and a very similar outline for each of these weeks because they all go together but are all wonderfully good for our souls. The main idea for our sermon and for the weeks to come is this. God lovingly cares for every area of our lives. Our God lovingly cares for every area of our lives. And we have four points this morning for this section of the book of the covenant. Point number one, God cares about your world. Point number two, God cares about your freedom. Point number three, God cares about your safety. And point number four, God cares about your property. Let's begin with the first point. Point number one, God cares about your world. So yes, this section is complicated, but no, church, it is not irrelevant for our lives here today. What we have in this book of the covenant is God making application of his law into our world that he has created for us. Look at verse 1. It says, now these are the rules that you shall set before them. That, that word rules is a very interesting word in the original text. It has a very broad range of meaning. It can mean custom or guiding principle or a judgment or an ordinance. But what seems very clear is that what we have here is not the same as the Ten Commandments which came before this in chapter 22. The Ten Commandments are laws and they are timeless reflections of God's heart for his people. But the rules that are spoken now in the book of the covenant, these seem to be guiding decisions or judgments that have been made about different situations, different hypothetical situations in life. In other words... What we have here in chapters 21 to 24 is very similar to case law in our world today. It's God's application of his law into different hypothetical cases or situations in real life. These are helpful examples that are given to enable us as his people to know how to rightfully apply his word to our lives and to our circumstances. And friends, this is really, really good for us to see together this morning because it reminds us of how practical God's word and his law really is. 
the, the Ten Commandments that we've studied over the last couple months, they're not just narrow religious rules that you can obey or break by doing one single thing. No, no, as they reflect the heart of God for us and for our lives in this world, the Ten Commandments have broad and good application into our lives. These chapters now, 20, 21 to 24, reflect the Ten Commandments in so many ways. They make application into things like murder, which is the sixth commandment. They make application to things like honoring your father and mother, which is the fifth commandment, and keeping the Sabbath, which is the third commandment, and, and more. The, the book of the covenant is God's case law for his ten commandments. It is God showing us how his heart cares for every area of our lives and how living according to his word and living according to his heart, it can bring about a very fruitful and happy and ordered and balanced life. What we have here are God's guidelines towards living in the way that he desires us to live. And friends, that should excite us this morning. It should excite us because this long list of rules is, is God's law and it's good for us. His word is truth and it helps us to live fruitful and happy lives. Listen, as good as the Ten Commandments are, most of us, you and I on a daily basis, don't live in a list of rules, right? Most of us live in the details of chapters 21 to 24. Every day, right, we have to deal with our neighbors. Every day we have to deal with our coworkers. Sometimes we argue. Sometimes we borrow something from our friends and it breaks while we have it. Sometimes we have to deal with unkind and unjust employers. Sometimes we have to consider how we can help those who have fallen on hard times. This is where most of us live on a daily basis. And so it should excite us that God cares enough about us in our daily lives to speak into these circumstances, to give us wisdom about how to honor him and to how to be a healthy community together. He cares about your world. There's a reason why the psalmist in Psalm 119 says that he delights in the law of God. There's a reason why the psalmist says that the law of God is sweeter than honey and that he wants to run in the ways of the Lord and that God's statutes are a strength for his soul. There's a reason he says that because God's rules and God's precepts remind us that God lovingly cares about every area of our lives. This is beautiful. Friends, let us make our hearts happy in his word. Listen, let me, let me exhort us as a church family. And before I exhort us, I need to confess to you. I need to confess that I have recently been looking at God's word as, as merely something that I need to do my job as a pastor. I have not found personal delight in God's word as much as I want to. But friends, let us see together this morning how good this word is. Let's be a people of this book who, who cares for this book and who celebrates God's wisdom for our lives. Let's not ignore it. Let's not lay it aside. Let's not minimize what this book is for us. Lord, please help us to be a church built on your word alone. Friends, that brings us to our second point. Point number two, God cares about your freedom. Now this first section, which is found in verses 2 to 11, 
it's, it's not easy. It has to do with slavery. And, and it's never easy to talk about slavery. To, to have God's word in any way seem to sanction slavery, to encourage slavery, that seems to us, particularly here in America, to be abhorrent and disgusting. Why, why would a good God sanction slavery? In fact, why did he not just create an 11th commandment which simply said, thou shalt not enslave anyone? Would that not have been cleaner and easier for us all? It certainly would have given white men and women and even whole churches many years ago much less opportunity to manipulate God's word to their own advantage. It's not easy to talk about this. But listen, what we must realize is that what is being spoken of here is different from our American understanding of slavery. What is being spoken about here is, is not the, 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 the stealing and then the buying and selling of slaves. In fact, verse 16 says specifically, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. That very directly forbids all forms of chattel slavery. The, the entire transatlantic, transcontinental slave trade is explicitly forbidden in God's law. Verses 20 to 21 speak of how no physical harm should ever come to a slave by the hand of the master. Listen, there, there is no right, no accurate, no faithful interpretation of God's holy word which allows or sanctions or encourages slavery as done in America or elsewhere in this world for hundreds of years in any way. None. 1 Timothy 1 speaks of those who are enslavers, literally meaning man-stealers, and it describes them as being lawless and disobedient to truth. We must rightly understand God's word here. So what does it mean, though? Why does God seem to sanction slavery in this way? Why does he give such clear instruction about it? Well, this will not be new to many of you, but we must realize that the slavery being spoken of here is different. It is not the stealing and the buying and selling of human life. Biblical slavery, at least the slavery that God gives instruction about, is more like being an indentured servant. It was a, a structure and a form in that day that was actually very redemptive and very much for the care and for the for the well-being of everyone involved. It wasn't necessarily easy, but it was a gracious thing to, to have an opportunity to work yourself out of debt rather than never being able to recover from the debt that you were in. Slavery in this context is not abusive. It's more altruistic than that. It, it was a solution to a very real economic problem that a person might have. It was, a, it was a way for someone who had fallen on bad times to not have to be forever destitute in their mistake, but to have an intentional plan to work their way out of debt. And it was a good plan. It was a good way to work. Verse 2 says that the enslaved person is a Hebrew slave. So this is someone within the very family of God. The, the slavery which is sanctioned in God's word is not done against certain ethnic lines. No, this is a practical thing done, even done within the people, within the nation of Israel, for God's own people. And then look at what it says in verse 2. It says, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. 
So there's a time limit to this. If someone has fallen into debt, they, they could sell themselves or even sell a family member into slavery in order to help pay off that debt. But there was a, a goal and there was guidelines and parameters and a, a time limit around it. And not only that, but, but Deuteronomy chapter 15 says that after six years of work, when the master is, is sending out the slave to be free, listen, he's not to send him out empty-handed, but it is to help provide what he needs to be a success. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy 15. Moses says, if your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And... When you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day. Isn't that beautiful? Once you have allowed this person to work for six years in order to pay off his debt, you're not just to say, okay, nice having you work for me, have a good life. No, you are to send him out, and you are to send him out with what he needs to be a success. Why? Because in the same way that God was gracious towards you when you came out of bondage in Egypt, so you should be gracious towards those who are working for you or are in slavery to you. So, this is the slavery that is being spoken of here. It has more to do with being an indentured servant, doing good work, not just for your master, but for yourself and for your family. It, it was a way to be responsible and to be faithful and to provide for your family. It was a way also to help needy people to get their feet back under them when fallen on hard times. What, what a beautiful picture for us to follow, right? Redeemer, Redeemer family, we, we as a local church, we should care very much about structures and, and ministries and organizations that don't just give handouts to people. Though that's not always a bad thing, but, but we should also seek to, to do things that enable those who are in hard times to learn how to work and to manage their lives well. And, and the church should be, according to Deuteronomy 15, very willing to give liberally to, in order to help people to prosper in this way. This should be wisdom for us as the church. I was recently talking to, to Mark Doherty, a member of our church, and he was sharing with me some of his experience with the Friendship House here in Delaware. It's a, it's a ministry, it's an organization that, that works to meet the needs of the poor, but doesn't just meet their needs for a moment. They work to enable them to learn how to hold up down a job and how to work and how to create responsible living. And he has spoken very highly of them. It's been encouraging to hear, and it's, it's something that I think we might be able to partner with in the future. Friends, this should make sense to us, right? Our God is a wise and generous God. He, he knows what we need, and so we can, he, we can see right in this first example of case law that he is a God who thinks both generously and intentionally. He gives grace and he gives guidelines for life to live by that will help his people and that will lead to a more fruitful life and a more fruitful society. Christians should seek to live and minister according to his wisdom as found here. Now we should also notice the structure of these first 11 verses. 
because they address some pretty interesting things, uh, and they do so in, in generally two parts. Verse 2 begins with a discussion by begins the discussion by talking about male slaves, and then it gives several additional directives about the male slaves. Specifically, it talks about whether he is single or married, and I think those verses are generally uh, logical for us. But then, in verse 7, it begins the discussion of female slaves, and it gives several directions about them. And, and that section, that section again feels very uncomfortable to us, doesn't it? Because it's so foreign to us. The, the idea in verse 7 of a man selling his daughter as a slave is so foreign to us and it seems entirely wrong. But once again, we have to consider the day and time that God is speaking into. In that day, if a family was in a hard spot economically, then the entire family was very vulnerable, and specifically the women. The, the father could not just tell his daughter to go and get a job in order to work for herself. The culture was not favorable towards women doing that. And so what we have here in the directions towards female slaves is actually an act of loving care. As much as it doesn't seem like it in our modern, to our modern sensibilities, arranged marriages were very common in that day. They're very common even in our day, just not here in America. And so to be married in that day was to be given security. It was to be given care and provision. A, a father could actually lovingly care for his daughter by giving her to another man, even to be his wife or to wait to be his son's wife. But... She is not their property. She is a person. And she is to be cared for and provided for as an image bearer of God. If, for whatever reason, the master does not like her, verse 7 says, that he cannot just release her like the male slaves after six years. Why? Well, because then she would be in a very vulnerable and dangerous place. Great harm would come to her. It would be, it would be to make her in very vulnerable and it says, the master shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people as a slave. And it says, if he takes another wife even, verse 10, even then he shall not diminish her food or clothing or marital status. The, these rules that are given by God are, are very, very good and loving. And listen, they are very different from the law books of other nations that we have found from that day. Other nations surrounding Israel had their own rules and law books. But those law books, as you study them, they do not care for women at all. They do not care for the poor and destitute at all. But the book of the covenant from Yahweh is different. What is being spoken of here, it's, it's God's care for his people in hard times. There's a, there's a humanitarian nature to the book of the covenant. God does not want his people to deal with their trials and circumstances in their own way. He does not want people to, to buy and sell to their own advantage. No, he wants there to be careful thought given, careful time given to, to find ways to care for people in need, even those who are destitute and unable to care for themselves. Church. Verses 1 to 11, they at first feel very strange and even wrong to us. But when we understand what God is actually doing here, we will not see them as strange or as unloving, but as yet another demonstration of his loving care. These verses reveal to us yet again that God lovingly cares for every area of our lives. And that brings us to our third point. 
Point number three, God cares about your safety. And so what we have seen thus far is that through this book of the covenant, God is caring for our daily existence. And part of what he is doing is that he is helping us to deal with difficulties and trials and even attacks that come upon us. Living in this world, it's not an easy thing to do. And so God wants to wisely speak into our circumstances in order to strengthen us and in order to protect us. In verse 12 and beyond, God, God speaks into our, our physical well-being, into our, our safety. Look, look at verse 12. It says, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Look at verse 15. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Look at verse 20. It says, when a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. Look at verse 22. It says, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. It's very clear from these verses that God cares about the safety and physical well-being of his people, and he cares about the physical safety of those who do not have positions of power in this life. There is no human life which is cheap in the sight of God. No, according to verse 22, even a baby in a mother's womb, which is the most vulnerable person in the world, even that is precious in God's sight. Harm should never be done to another human being, whether in an argument, whether as an expression of power over someone that serves you, or whether as a matter of convenience in our day. All of life is sacred to God, and he cares about all of it. So much so, that God says that to be careless with life, to, to be violent with life, even to the point of killing someone, is it's to forfeit your own life. And that's not new to Exodus chapter 21. We have seen God instruct his people in this way before. In Genesis chapter 9, after the, the story of Noah and the flood, God gives instruction to Noah and into the growing culture that he would build. And he says this, he says, whoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. God was giving a helpful principle for society in order to establish the sanctity of human life in every form and stage. And this is a helpful guide towards having an ordered and non-violent society. Our, our world loves to devalue people, doesn't it? We love to devalue people. We love to cheapen the worth of those around us if they disagree with us, if they're different from us, if they hold different values than we do, if we get in a fight with them. We love to cheapen the value that we put upon them. But God desires that we have structures in place which help us to value the sanctity of human life in every single person and that leads us towards care and towards gentleness towards those around us. That's what much of this case law is intended to do for us. The, the sixth commandment is thou shalt not murder. 
And we saw that that is because the the image of God is stamped upon each and every human being. And so now we see that the the application, the case law for the sixth commandment, has very broad application to all of life. All of humanity in every form is sacred. Friend, do you know this about yourself? Your life is sacred. You are sacred. Do you know this about yourself this morning? No matter how much you struggle with who you are, no matter how much you don't like your personality or your temperament or your your, your appearance, no matter how invaluable you feel this morning, no matter how much you look around you and think that no one sees you and that if even you were to take your own life today and suddenly not be here, that that would make no difference. Friend, please hear this morning, God cares for your life. He cares for your safety. He sees you as invaluable. He made you. He designed you intentionally. You are sacred to him. You are an eternal being, and the eternal God loves you and desires to care for you and to protect you in every way. Passages like this, as boring as some people say that they are, passages like this should really make our hearts happy today because these verses show us that God is not unaware of our personal situations. Listen, if you are being abused or mistreated by someone, by your spouse or by someone else, if you're being manipulated or mishandled by your boss or by a manager, if you're being harmed by someone in your world, God is not blind to it. He sees it. God cares for you and he cares about these issues in your life. And if you are being harmed, you should talk to those around you in a safe way so that others can rally around you to help you. I I love what these verses reveal about the heart of God for our lives and for our physical well-being. And and I love how wise God is in what he does here. He's not like the culture that, that just throws out rash judgments about situations very quickly and that and that assumes that the first word on a situation is the right word. No, what we see here is that God has given very clear, very balanced judgment and direction for us, right? Even in verse 13, we see that if, if someone who is accused of murdering someone, if there is a need to determine whether it is premeditated or whether it was a crime of passion, whether it was intentional or whether it was self-defense. If there's a need there, God's given a system for that because our God cares about truth. He is not about mob judgments being made about a situation. Even as we heard in the ninth commandment, our God cares about truth and there is a need at all times for multiple witnesses in situations like this. And there's a a process of determining true justice. God lovingly says in verse 13 that if something happens that was not willful, if somebody dies accidentally, God is going to appoint a place for that person to go. Later in the Pentateuch, this will be called the, the cities of refuge. Places where wrongfully accused people can flee in order to find asylum and then be given a full hearing. It's beautiful. It's just. It's how things should be. And beyond that, in verses 24 to 25, where it says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, the, the point of that text is not to be petty about our offenses. 
It's not just to enact revenge for every little thing that happens to us, particularly on a personal level. Jesus said, if your neighbor strikes you on the, on the cheek, turn to him the other. We are to be long-suffering and forbearing when, when we are wronged in, a, in an interpersonal way. But this verse is written into the context of a judicial proceedings. Wise judicial systems should be measured in the judgments and penalties that they provide. To say an eye for an eye, it sounds needlessly vindictive, but is it actually wisely restrictive? This is intended by God to keep judgments from happening like happened in Genesis chapter 4 when it says that, that men avenged themselves sevenfold. People were taking justice in their own hands and doing whatever they wanted to do. This verse addresses that. All this to say God cares about our safety, not just our physical safety, but also our safety against wrongful accusations and disproportionate judgments as well, and friends, that brings us to our fourth and to our final point this morning. Point number four, God cares about your property. And so in chapter 22, God begins to speak in a way that not only protects our physical safety, but also our physical belongings, our, our possessions. Why? Well, because even though Jesus says that this life is not made up of the things of this world, our God does see and know that our lives are often filled with physical things and he's not blind to the need to wisely judge situations in which our property is in question. So verse 1 talks about when a man steals from another man. If he steals at night and the owner rises to defend himself and kills the man, well then the thief does not need to pay anything back because he's dead. But if the sun rises on him, if he's caught and if he's alive, well, then he is to pay back what he stole, even up to double. And if he has nothing to pay back, verse 3, he shall be sold. He'll become one of the indentured servants spoken of earlier. Verses 5 to 6, if a person accidentally allows his livestock to wander into his neighbor's field and they eat all of the grain, then he shall make restitution from his own field. If a person accidentally starts a fire and it consumes the goods of another person, the person who started the fire will make restitution. Church, this is just wisdom, isn't it? It should make sense to us. God cares for our belongings and he does not want his people to be callous or unloving or selfish towards another person's belongings. Verses 7 to 15, they talk about when we entrust something to our neighbor and something happens to it while they are watching over it. Or when we borrow something from our neighbor and that chainsaw breaks in our hands. What are we supposed to do in that situation? Church, look at the care. Look at the, the intentional care that God gives to our lives and even to our belongings. This is, this is amazing. God, God cares for our lives so well, even into the greatest detail. And we would be wise to learn from his word as to how to care for each other and how to wisely handle differences or conflicts that we have. God's word is so relevant for our lives. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see even more how he cares for us. We're going to see how God cares for our purity, how he cares for our restfulness, how he cares for our joy, how he cares for our future hope. The, the loud declaration of this book of the covenant, chapters 21 to 24, is that our God cares. 
These chapters are amazing. They're not boring. They, they reveal to us the heart of God for his people and, and not just for strong and powerful people who are in positions of influence, but for all people, the weak and the vulnerable, the powerless, the, the forgotten, those wrongfully accused. Our God cares for them all. This is who our God is. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, is walking along and it says that he looked out at the crowds and he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. Friends, the book of the covenant in the book of Exodus is God's compassion on display as well. It is his care for our daily lives. But friends, it needs to be said that as loving and as caring as this is, it's not enough. The, the Ten Commandments in the Book of the Covenant, they are very good. They are a blessing to us, and we should study them deeply. But they are not God's ultimate care for his people. Even these loving and caring principles to, to guide our lives, because of our own sinful hearts, we still need more, don't we? We need a Savior. We need one to save us from our sins and from our inability to keep the rules of the covenant. We need a savior to reconcile us back to the father so that we might know his ultimate care and so we might live out his grace as he intended. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus died. This is why Jesus now reigns on high as King of kings and Lord of lords so that in the chaos and trouble of life, he might reign over us and govern us, lovingly caring for us and guiding us through life. His word is a lamp to our feet. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And now, a God who cares for us this much Oh, church, a God who not only cares enough to give loving direction and principles into every area of our lives, but who also sends his son to do everything that we could not do, that God is worthy and he is a loving master who should be followed. He deserves our full devotion, amen? In Exodus chapter 21, up in verses 5 to 6, it says this about slavery it says, if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an all and he shall be his slave forever. That indentured servant, he doesn't want to leave his master. He loves his master. He sees how well his master has cared for him. And so the master takes an awl and pounds a hole in his ear as a sign that he is forever a member of his household. Oh, church, let us do the same. Let us look to Jesus and say, I love my master. I will not go out free from this master. This master cares for every area of my life. His rules, his precepts, his, his statutes are a delight to my soul. He cares for me and I will never leave him nor forsake him because of what he's done for us. 